back to another great episode of Flirty and Fabulous, still with me, Giska Randy. On this episode, I am so excited to interview a very good friend of mine. He brings joy, slides, inspiration, and I thought, you know, since so many of us still can't travel this year, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about travel and creative process. So that's why I decided to um, invite Ganesh and we're going to talk a lot about not only his journey from Singapore to Montreal without flights, but also his upcoming book, The Long Direction. So please welcome Ganesh. Hi everyone. I hope you guys are doing well. So, darling, thank you so much for um, joining my show. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> um, tell me, where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm in Montreal, uh, in Canada, where I'm studying and have been living for the past year. That is amazing. How's everything in Canada at the moment, in where you live? Um, it started snowing. So the okay. weather is really fluctuating. So one day it's cold, the other day it's hot, which is a good or a bad thing, depends on how you see it. And yeah, we have COVID here and everyone is quarantined. So the restaurants are closed. Uh, some businesses are operating uh, shorter hours. So not really, a, not as good as it could be. But, you know, I'm surviving and that's what really matters, isn't it? Yeah. And how are you dealing with everything, like the pandemic, the quarantine? Has it been hard? Has it been confusing? Or has it been actually productive? It's been productive because, you know, I've been uh, writing a book uh, since... That is one thing that we're going to talk about. March. Yeah, and you know, that has kept me busy. That's my greatest personal project. I've been learning languages on the side too, so... Yeah, I found ways to kill time and actually it's been pretty productive, I would say. Okay. And, you know, my listeners, of course, want to know how did we meet? I think we met about... ...at Alliance Francaise in Singapore, which is like a French uh, language learning institute. Was it like... Uh, 20... You were a classmate of mine. Okay, 2016, 2015, I can't remember. Yeah, probably 2016, I think. Okay. Yeah, and we met there, and we were both really loud, I remember, and that's how we <laughs> clicked on really well. <laughs> yeah, there's the three of us. We are the most, I don't know, yeah, talkative uh, in the class, but it was good. Yeah, David, you and I, uh, you and I, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was really fun, lots of fun, actually. So and fun. learned a lot about uh, French and has really helped me, you know, to survive here in Montreal. Yeah. French is the language. Yeah, that was that was really great. And so after that, we set off, I kind of stopped and you probably continue taking private lessons, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. I took private classes because I found the Alliance Francaise uh, curriculum a bit too slow. So <laughs> I decided to do it on my own pace and hey, it worked well. Uh, right now I'm yeah. speaking French every day without problems. And then um, after that, so basically we kind of stopped talking. And then one day, I think it was two years ago, I was in Budapest and then I saw your picture traveling with this entire theme, basically Singapore to Montreal without flights. And I thought it was crazy how 
how did you do it? I've always wanted to know how people can, I thought I'm crazy enough. I thought I'm brave enough. But then when I see you, I read your stories. I, I saw all your pictures. I was like, there's no way I can do this. So, I mean, if you don't mind to share with us, why did you, what made you decide to travel to Montreal without flights? And yeah, everything basically. We want to know. So, so in November 2018 was when I finished uh, my national service. So national service is a mandatory military service. All Singaporeans have to serve for two years. All Singaporean males at least. So um, yeah, so that finished in November 2018. And my school was due to start in September 2019, leaving me about 10 months or so uh, of, you know, nothing to do. So I've always loved traveling and to me, you know, doing long-term traveling seemed like the only um, logical thing to do in this 10 months. For a long time, I had been uh, captivated by, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> my voice is cracking. Uh, for, you know, a long time, I had been uh, captivated by the Singapore-London-Overland route. And so I actually wanted to do it from Singapore all the way to London without taking flights. Then after a while, I thought to myself and I was like, hmm, why London? You know, it seems yeah. so arbitrary. Your final destination after all is uh, Montreal. So, yeah, I decided, okay, let's uh, push, you know, up the ante a bit. Let's, um, you know, go all the way to Montreal without taking flights. And yeah, that's how Singapore to Montreal, you know, the concept of it at least was born. Oh, my God. Did you prepare yourself? Was it, I don't know. Did it take like a lot of preparation to actually do that? Or you just sort of like, let's do it. Or sort of like a last minute thing, spontaneous. Mm, I think it's a bit of both actually, because preparation is such a vague term. It's such a, you know, it encompasses so many things. So when I, when you say preparation, yes, I did prepare a bit, especially uh, financially. Okay. And so I worked two years uh, when I was in the army, as well as, you know, when I wasn't in, you know, when I was uh, off from base, I went, I was teaching English and French to students on the side mm. uh, to raise some extra cash for this trip. So yeah, the financial side, uh, I did lots of preparation, actually. But for the route itself, like where I'll be going, my itinerary, I actually didn't do much planning. In fact, I didn't know where I would be um, the following day, never mind a month ahead uh, during my trip. And many of the decisions on when to go and where to go was taken like um, on the whim. Okay. Um, so... I was wondering, so from Singapore, where did you go next? What was your route like? So, so my route brought me northwards from Singapore to Southeast Asia, where I did the um, you know, typical backpacker uh, Southeast Asia trail across Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Nothing ordinary, nothing really exciting, comparatively speaking. Uh, with what you know I did later on during my trip then I went to okay. China and it was um, during the Chinese New Year period and so I had to literally fight with um, a billion people to get on board trains overcrowded trains it in itself was an experience then I did a short uh, detour to North Korea before returning to China going across Central Asia what you would refer to as the stans so Kyrgyzstan Kazakhstan Uzbekistan Tajikistan Turkmenistan 
before going to Iran and then Turkey and then um, across Europe all the way to Germany from where you know I took a cargo ship across the Atlantic to the US before finally going up north to Canada by uh, by buses. That is insane. Um, okay, so basically, we're gonna um, talk about it like step by step. Basically, in Southeast Asia first, was it your first time traveling in Southeast Asia? Um, no, actually, um, yes, yeah, some regions actually was my first time. I've never been to Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam before prior to this trip. Yeah. Uh, but Malaysia and Thailand, yeah, I've been there dozens of times uh, with family. So, uh, yeah. I was pretty familiar with what, uh, you know, with the culture, with the history, uh, with the, uh, with the, yeah, culture and history and the practices, the social norms of this region. So, yeah, they weren't as, you know, um, how would I say, they weren't as um, new as, uh, you know, the cultures elsewhere in the world for me. Okay, so what was your highlight in such Highlight in Southeast Asia, I think um, I had a very bad start actually. So something happened to me in Kotal okay. and I got injured and I lost a bit of money. And, you know, that almost scuttled my trip. Um, but, you know, I'm, I made it across Southeast Asia successfully anyway. So, yeah. And what's the most interesting or memorable, memorable thing in Southeast Asia? I'm not so sure. Maybe, you know, actually backpacking for two months uh, as a, you know, traveler meeting people from across the world on a daily basis. Yeah. I think that was the most interesting, you know, the human contact, the, you know, meeting people from all corners of the world. That was the most interesting to me. Okay. And you also went to North Korea. Yes. So after Southeast Asia, I went to China and then I went to North Korea. So North Korea is interesting because I have only 15 days visa-free access to China. Okay. And I didn't want to pay for you know, a visa and the visa was going to be too um, onerous of a process for me. Yeah. So I decided to, you know, do a visa run to North Korea and then come back to China and, you know, restart the 15 days. So I get to spend at least a month in China. How's life in North in Korea? Because obviously a lot of us, we only, you know, watch from television and we don't really know what is actually happening out there. Is it as, is it true, like, whatever you read or watch on television, it's actually what is happening there? I think this is one of the few places, if not the only place in the world, where you might actually learn more about the country from the outside than visiting itself. Okay. Because... You know, you there is no such thing as free and easy travel within North Korea, independent travel in North Korea. From the moment you you are in North Korea, you are always, um, you know, under the care or surveillance of two government guides slash minders who would show you what the government wants to wants uh, foreigners to see, who would try their best, you know, to cover up or try their best to not bring you to places they wouldn't be so proud of. So you, you, what you see is really, or is almost what the government wants you to see, which is this very perfect, or you know, rather well-to-do, comfortable uh, North Korea, um, you know, that the, the image at least, you know, an image of an uncomfortable and well-to-do North Korea that the government wants to project. Yeah. 
So yeah, you're not going to see concentration camps definitely. You're going to see poverty. I, I never saw any of that. Yes, I did see a few um, rundown, dilapidated buildings, but you know, yeah, I mean, the widespread poverty, the persecution of um, religious minorities, uh, dissidents, uh, the prison camps that you hear about in uh, news outlets across the world, you don't really, you know, I, I never saw them, I never heard about them. Okay. You know, it was as good as they didn't exist when I was in North Korea. That is so exciting. I mean, when I saw the picture, I was like, he really made it to North Korea. How long were you there for? Yeah, I made it. I went in for five okay. days, so I spent two days in Pyongyang. I went one day. I went down to the DMZ, which is the border between North Korea and South Korea, uh, one of the most militarized places in the world. And then uh, the other two days were spent in the north of the country, near the border with China. Okay, and also um, I saw this picture when you actually took a train. I wasn't so sure where, but you didn't do any reservation so you had to stand for for i don't know was it like a night do you remember oh that so it wasn't actually a train a <laughs> of course i mean i think it's no it, it is a train uh you know but it wasn't a train it was a few trains uh, in china actually so yeah and i will never forget from it don't worry no, it's where? actually in my mind until the other so from beijing to urumqi and that is uh distance of about 2,000 plus kilometers, if I'm not wrong. And it was a day and a half trip, no, two day trip, I think almost two days trip. And I didn't have a seat, which wasn't actually the worst um, worst thing about this. I think the worst one was uh, being forced to, you know, stand and sit and eventually sleep on the floor just uh, beside the toilet. So I got to smell. Uh... That is so nice. Yeah, let's not talk about it. <laughs> not fun oh my god okay but did you make any friends during that trip or what, what was the lesson you one person learned there obviously you have to get like a seat the next time you do it but what was the lessons the lessons i learned was that you know really whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> no but you know you were talking about if i met people i think one of the hardest things in china is that chinese people themselves are very curious yeah. but many of them aren't able to speak in english so you know the communication doesn't go very deep if there was any communication between you know the locals and i to begin with but i did meet this very interesting character from Urumqi uh, to kashgar you know, and I did write about him in my book. He was an engineer uh, from the other end of China working on the new Belt and Road Initiative. We had an interesting chat. And yeah, so he was um, the only person I met on the trip, uh, uh, rather met on a train ride in China with whom, you know, the, con the conversation uh, went to a very, uh, relatively deep level, I would say. Okay. Wow. Um, all right. So after China, where did you go again? Was it? So I went to Central Asia. So I, um, after Urumqi, I went to Kashgar, which is in the uh, Xinjiang okay. province, um, you know, China's westernmost province. And then after that, I went to Kyrgyzstan. And then, yeah, in Central Asia. That is so exciting. Not very touristy. Not many people know it exists. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, an, it was an interesting experience. I mean, I've always wanted to travel to uh, Mongolia 
basically taking train from um, Beijing to Mongolia. And then if you're lucky, just go straight all the way to Russia. But then when I saw you actually did that to Tajikistan, extra um it's just because i have such a it's it's hard to pronounce this country but the point is you yeah. <laughs> had good times there and you had such a great story so share with us um i don't know like probably top three or all your favorite highlights basically in those places in central asia so yeah you made you first brought a very interesting point which is you know taking a train from china to mongolia and then to russia before going to europe that could have that was you know one of the options actually for me to travel from Singapore all the way to somewhere in Europe to catch a boat to North America. But eventually I decided not to take that route because you know, first of all, I didn't want to take trains because when you are in a train, you pretty much don't see much. China is an exception because I only had 30 days to cover the vast distances of China. So I had no choice but to take trains, you know, to make the sprint uh, between cities. But once when I was in Central Asia, I did um, hitchhike a lot. And I think if I had taken trains from um, Singapore all the way to Europe, I would have missed hitchhiking and meeting people. You know, I would have just sat on a train and the train would have just zoomed past the cities. So one of the most interesting things, in fact, the most interesting things, thing that I did in Central Asia and possibly the whole uh, trip was hitchhiking in Central Asia, where I met very interesting personalities, people from, people uh, from all walks of life, um, you know, not only in Kyrgyzstan, but across Central Asia. And um, yeah, I, I've written it all in my book, actually, you know, very interesting stories, really interesting. The hitchhiking. <laughs> and it did help. Sorry? Yeah, and it did, ha- and it did help, like uh, meeting, like, you know, it was easy for me to talk with people to a deep level, to, a, to you know, have hard to hard-to-hard uh, conversations with uh, people uh, who gave me a lift because I speak okay. Russian. And, you know, people there uh, speak Russian because many of these countries, not all of these countries in Central Asia were previously part of the Soviet Union. Okay. And so the other two um, interesting things I would say was um, couch surfing. Okay. I was going to so ask you for that. People who are not... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so couch surfing is a you know, it's probably another defining thing in my trip. And couchsurfing, um, if I were to describe it in my own words, means um, so couchsurfing is a website and there are lots of hosts on couchsurfing. It's sort of like Airbnb, but it's not at the same time. So there is no transaction involved. There's no financial transaction involved. Yes, precisely. It's free. And sometimes, you know, and in, in fact, many hosts are on couchsurfing because they want to meet the world. And they don't really have the opportunity to travel outside the borders, be it due to you know political situation, the socioeconomic situation that they have. Um, for many of them, you know, traveling the world is a pipe dream at best. And so the best uh, alternative option is inviting the world to their place. And yes, yeah, so I couch surfed the Lord in, in Central Asia and it was amazing. And, you know, again, I met lots of interesting personalities and many a times I didn't even, many, yeah, I many of the hosts that I have, that I had, rather, weren't even from couch surfing. I just met them on the street and they were like, are you a foreigner? I was like, yeah. And they were like, come to my place, you know, and I just followed them. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, I, I think Central Asia is a place that um, is my most favorite region um, of all my trip because of how varied the landscapes are. 
So Kyrgyzstan with its uh, mountainous regions, with its uh, pristine lakes was gorgeous. Same as Kazakhstan with its steppes, uh, you know, just endless uh, flat land as far as the eye can see. Uzbekistan uh, with its all oh, its deserts were magnificent. I loved it. The, the, the views of the, the the deserts. I've never seen anything as beautiful as the deserts of, of Uzbekistan um, ever in my life. Same as same for you know the mountains of Tajikistan. Again, absolutely amazing views. Um, you know, and uh, untouched beauty. Uh, you know, you know words. Or even pictures and videos can't do justice, you know, can't really encapsulate how beautiful and how uh, picturesque these places are. So, but my yeah. question is yeah. okay, for a girl or um, solo traveler like me, is it actually hard to get around those countries or is it actually safe for us to travel there alone or you would actually recommend? us to go with people <laughs> so this is a question that many people have asked me of and course. honestly it's <laughs> it's difficult to answer you know well because first of all I'm not a woman so I you know many things that you know so my experience is different from let's say if I were a woman okay um I did get sexually harassed so yeah, you know, but I don't think uh, it would be anywhere near um, where it could have been if I were a woman. Uh, but then again, I don't know if, you know, I would have been sexually harassed if I were a woman. So it depends. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something very hypothetical. Uh, as for security and safety, I felt absolutely safe for most of my time in Central Asia. Okay. Uh, but then again, it might not really be, you know, or anywhere else, you know, during my trip. But then again, it might be the fact that I was just oblivious to the danger around me. So, you know, it didn't feel unsafe to me, not because it wasn't, uh, or it didn't feel unsafe to me, not because it was safe, but because, you know, I just didn't see or perceive the dangers around me. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And um, Did you have yeah, solo traveling, I think. Uh huh. I think speaking Russian, speaking Russian did help a bit. Okay. Also, me being someone who is very, how would I say, um, tenacious. I don't know if that's the right word, tenacious. Uh, you know, yeah, um, or rather very determined, tenacious, yeah. Um, did help a lot because, you know, there were times where, you know, it became hard. Be it I couldn't find accommodation, I was uh, trying to hitchhike but couldn't find a ride anywhere yeah. or, you know, I was getting scammed or in Tajikistan, my host refused to let me leave his house. So in those times, uh, you know, yeah, it was difficult, but I'm also a very determined person. So it, I, I think it depends more on a person's personality mm -hmm. than let's say if a person is a male or female or if that person was struggling alone or not. But definitely possible if you are a determined solo individual, definitely possible because I've done it. Wow. So basically, after I saw all your pictures, I started to put all those countries on my bucket list as well. Just because you never know, someday when we're all allowed to travel again, I would love to actually visit, um, you know, 
Mongolia, even like China. I've been to China a couple of times, but I always feel like there are so many beautiful places there to explore. And obviously, I would love to do Mongolia, Kazakhstan, extra, extra, until Russia eventually. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you have been uh, talking a lot about my photos. I think um, I think let's just um, put my Instagram out there to the listeners uh, so that, you know, if they want to see my photos, they also can do of so. Of course. Uh, so my, yeah, so my Instagram is The Long Direction. It's T-H-E-L-O-N-G Direction, D-I-R-E-C-T-I-O-N. Please don't judge me for this very, very, very cringy name, but that's also going to be the name of my book. <laughs> Actually, people, I believe people should really check out your Instagram and then buy your book. We're going to talk about it later because it's not Perfect. just about the pictures. I feel like it's really about the story of human being. Um, I always believe the further we travel, the luckier we get, obviously, because we get to see and we get to learn experience as well, how you know how other people live and then we just it's it's a very humbling experience and one of the things i love about traveling is always the connection you make with new people um even though a lot of cases you meet people even though they don't have a lot of money but they always share with you and that is just the best highlight of my trip do you experience the same things too of course, people were inviting me to their places for free, uh, feeding me for free, uh, you know, giving me rights uh, without expecting anything in return, uh, you know, to someone who's just a complete uh, stranger from uh, from a distant land. I think, uh, you know, it's, um, it's as far as it can get, you know, when it comes to like experiencing this uh, love of humanity, this um, unconditional, uh, you know, this, you know, to help people, yeah. this need to help people. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was while traveling that I really experienced it. Because, you know, many a times we are, you know, we, we hear stories like that on the internet, but then there I was, you know, experiencing it every day. People were being nice to me for the most part. Uh, people were helping me out. So, you know, people were saying, people say that this has been a solo endeavor, you know, from Singapore to Montreal. I would say, I would like to disagree because, you know, if it weren't for the people who helped me along the way, I, I wouldn't have made it definitely. So, yeah, it was uh, the hundreds, not thousands of people I met along the way who in some way or another helped me, no matter how small or how big, uh, you know. They, yeah, they also uh, deserve, you know, a mention uh, or, you know, for helping me achieve this uh, seemingly crazy goal. Yeah, sharing <laughs> kindness and love, unconditional love. Yeah, as I said, you know, couch surfing, <laughs> I was surfing on the kindness of strangers. Is there any like a specific story where you can share with people about, for example, you meet these people, they probably don't have a lot, but they just love to share with you. Was it, I think I read a story, it's a guy who runs a bakery shop or something like that. Ah, yeah, so he was Johnny back in uh, Osh, and oh god, he was such Where a nice personality, you know. His name is Jenny okay. Beck, and he's uh, in Osh, in Kyrgy Kyrgyzstan, okay. sorry. Uh, this is what happens, you know, when you travel across the world and cities, you know, you, you know where the cities mm. are, but, you know, others might not. Yeah, okay, so Osh, he runs a bakery, seemingly well-to-do guy large family, lives in the countryside, but very humble guy. 
Um, I was supposed to stay only three, four days with him. I ended up staying more than a week. Okay. And so I helped him at this bakery. I helped him sell uh, bread uh, from his bakery, you know, at um, markets uh, across southern uh, Kyrgyzstan, helped deliver those breads. It was a really interesting experience. I got to shout at the top of my voice in Russian, you know, trying to sell, uh, trying to entice customers, you know, to buy his bread. It was really funny. And yeah, and his wife, his family, his parents, his kids, so loving, invited me, you know, he treated me like family, cooked me the best dishes I had on the trip. What's um, the food like there? In Central Asia, because it's landlocked, it's very meat heavy. So lots of sheep, lots of uh, beef, lots of chicken. I didn't really have seafood that much and lots of rice and bread. Okay. And they love tea. They love tea. Central Asians love tea. That sounds so good. And you even teach them English, correct? Or was it in another place? Um, no. Um, so I did teach um, Jenny Beck English, but it wasn't as, you know, it was just something I did like, how would I say, casually. Okay. Um, but I did teach English in elsewhere in Kyrgyzstan for a few days um, in this place called Balikchi by Lake Karakol. So I was uh, hosted by, so it was this teacher actually, uh, English teacher, she's Kyrgyz, but she teaches English. Um, she invited me uh, to stay with one of her students. And, and so I did that. It was homestead with one of her students and, you know, the teacher invited me to practice uh, or to talk to her class during lesson time. And yeah, I found it a very interesting concept because, you know, the teacher said to me that, you know, I arranged these homestays so that, first of all, travelers get to see another side of Kyrgyzstan from a local perspective. And secondly, my students get to benefit uh, by, you know, uh, English uh, on, a, on, a more, on a more intimate, on a more uh, personal level, uh, on a more day-to-day basis, rather. So I think it was a win-win situation, you know, where I got something, I got a place to stay, and the student also benefited, you know, by honing or developing their English skills. That is amazing. See, that's one thing that I really love about you, that you are, of course, genuinely kind, but you also care about people, and you you don't mind to share what you have as well with them. And yeah, so, all right, so done with Central Asia. Okay, wait, one, one thing. Have you ever experienced, like, um, I don't know, crime or something that little bit dangerous? Crime. Um, not really in Central Asia. It happened in Europe where, you know, money went missing. Uh, and crime, yeah, you know, I was getting, or at least people attempted to scam me quite a bit. Okay. In fact, it happened almost uh, on a, you know, it was almost a bail, something that happened on a daily basis, but most of them were very trivial that they didn't really make it into my book, but some of it did. Okay. And so after Central Asia, you continue your trip to Europe. No, Russia first. No, I went to oh, Iran. To <laughs> I didn't go to Russia. Oh, yeah, I forget about yeah. that. I know you have a bunch of interesting story about Iran, if you can tell us a little bit about it. Your, as usual, your top highlights, maybe. Um, so again, couchsurfing, one of it. Um, Iran is a country that is sort of like um, catch-22 in itself, as in like it's a land of paradoxes. It's a very, officially a very religious country ruled by, you know, 
religious clerics, it's a theocracy. But the youngsters, actually, they're very outward looking, very, many of them at least are very modern, uh, quite liberal. So I got to, when people go on a holiday in Iran or you know, travel as tourists to Iran, uh, first of all, many people think Iran is dangerous. It's not, it's quite safe. It's very safe, in fact. But when many people travel to Iran, um, you know, and they just stay at hotels and, you know, do the usual touristy stuff. They don't see this other, the more liberal side, the more outward looking side of Iran that, you know, tends to live in people's bedroom, that tends to live in the privacy of people's houses. Because you have to realize that um, this is after a religious country and um, women, for example, have to wear the hijab at all times when in public. Um, you know, music cannot, people can't dance in public, can't drink alcohol. And so if you never go to people's house, if in houses, if you never see this part of Iran, you know, which is in people's houses, you're going to think Iran is a very um, conservative place. But, you know, through couch surfing, I went to, you know, parties where there was free free flow alcohol and drugs, or women wearing miniskirts, um, you know, um, teenage boys and teenage girls having the same problems as you and I uh, during our teenage years. I even met a few, um, you know, uh, people from the LGBT community who, who, you know, and many of them were, you know, many of them were, how would I say, many of them were afraid to be out. So, and that's why they were on couch surfing because they felt that it was, you know, they could be themselves. Um, they could only be themselves in front of tourists. Yeah, and I also met a few atheist people who didn't want to, who were born Muslims, but they don't want to be Muslims. Okay. And, you know, but who, and, and, and they couldn't tell that to anyone, you know, on the street, not even family members. So, uh, yeah, their, their only confidants were the couch surfing guests. Wow. Yeah, like I never thought about visiting Iran, but after I watch all your Instagram stories, that really makes me feel like I need to just be a little braver to kind of step out of my comfort zone and visit those places. Yeah, but I think especially for Iran and maybe also for Kazakhstan and Central Asia in general, those some countries, many of the perceived danger is just, uh, you know, perceived danger, you know. Um, I, I definitely didn't feel unsafe when I was in Iran. In fact, I felt very safe in Iran and I felt less safe in some parts of Europe than I was in Iran. So Iran is definitely not safe. Uh, it's definitely not an unsafe country, you know. People that are very nice, Iranian hospitality is out of this world. It's legendary. Uh, you know, people always see the need to help you. There is this um, thing in, in Persian culture called taruf, where, you know, people see the need to, ex to offer everything to foreigners, to guests. And yeah, after all, many of these people uh, in Central Asia, in Iran, they come from a culture where there's this very beautiful saying, and that is, you know, a foreigner is like a friend of Allah. So, you know, we have to treat them as best as we can. And many people definitely lift up, live up to it. Wow. Seems like it's true, the further you travel, not only the more you learn about something new, but also, I don't know, it's just... It humbles you in a lot of way, isn't it? 
Yes, it does. In fact, um, so many people think that, you know, you travel uh, to learn the history and culture. Yeah, definitely. But I think those things can be learned through somewhat through books. Uh, but I think the thing that you really learn about, um, uh, learn, you know, when you're traveling is about this, you know, it's about mo more about yourself, more about people making this uh, human to human connection. Uh, you know, putting the political differences aside and, you know, you sort of realize that you're all, we're all just humans. I think that is what you really learn when you're traveling. And now we're going to talk about your upcoming book. Very exciting. Perfect. So Perfect. I found out that you wrote a book the same time I wrote a book, I think, was it like a year ago or no, this year? Yeah, so I always wanted to write a book about this trip. Unfortunately, how would I say? You know, I was just procrastinating too much. Okay. And I didn't really do anything concrete. I was, yeah, I did write a few pages here and there. Uh, for example, on the cargo ship from Germany to the US because, you know, there was no internet on board. So I did have some time to write and I did write a bit, but nothing as much as what I did during the quarantine when, you know, things were closed and here in in Montreal, it was snowing. Uh, it was snowing. No one wanted to leave their places, uh, their houses, because, you know, it was a new thing. Coronavirus was a new thing. Everyone was scared. So, yeah, that was when, you know, I decided, okay, you know what? I have lots of time to kill. I will uh, get started on my writing. And so I did. Has it been difficult? Or what was the hardest part of writing a book? I think putting your thoughts into words. Um, sometimes I did have the writer's block where I did know what I did. I, of course, I did know what I did, but I, I just couldn't put it into words, like you know, describing a place, for example, or writing a, writing in a very, how would I say, in a very eloquent way of what I did. So that was really, really, um, that was at times really challenging, and also because. You know, I'm writing from experience. I've already experienced many of these things. So to me, when I'm writing, you know, my writing seemed to describe it. But when I reread what I have written, I realized that I wasn't describing it enough because, you know, for viewers, it's something they didn't experience. So I needed to experience, I needed to write more. I needed to describe the things that I did and see and experience uh, more so that my viewers would also have, you know, at least an idea of what I did. I actually find the hardest part writing a book is the consistency. Did you find it hard as well to, you know, stay constant and then kind of finish? The Absolutely. Book? Absolutely. Because I write, I write, I think it's the same for you, you know, like the writing styles change uh, from time to time. Yeah. And Tell us, share with us about your writing or creative process, maybe for those who, you know, want to write a book and they're not sure where or how to start, can you give us some recommendations? I think when you want to write a book, think of a book like a canvas. So when you want to write a book, there is no right or wrong answer or no right or wrong way to write a book. You know, it's you are the author. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is breaking. No problem. <laughs> so you, know, you are the author. <laughs> So, you know, you are the author, just write the way you want, you know, as long as it's comprehensible you know, to the reader, I think it should be fine. Um, also, of course, you know, if you want to write well, you should read a lot. So read a lot before you write. And 
yeah, it's a long-term process. So you are in it for the long run. So don't expect, you know, something to, don't expect it to be something to be done in one or two days or week. You know, it could take up to a year or even longer sometimes. So patience, patience is very important. I'm not a very patient person. I'm a very impatient person. And even then, you know, I enjoy the process of writing. So yeah, enjoy the process, I think. That's another thing, you know, you have to enjoy the process of writing. So it's not for everyone. If you are someone who doesn't like to write, then it might not be for you, you know. But if you love to write, you know, just be patient and write it the way you want. And one page at a time. Should be all fine. Yeah. So what have you learned um, about yourself during the trip and then during the writing process? During the trip? I learned that, you know, I'm someone who could probably survive in many uh, different environments, you know, in many different circumstances, rather. And, uh, yeah, and I also realized that, you know, I can indeed be a very dirty person. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, (laughs) there was a time during the trip where I wasn't, I was only changing my, I'm ashamed to say this, but I was only changing my underwear once a week, my socks and pants once a month. Same same, you know, for my shirt. Doing, so don't worry <laughs> yeah so i mean don't worry you know now i'm pretty clean i change my clothing of course. change my clothes every day but yeah but during the trip I, I, yeah i wasn't really the cleanest person um so that um and for the writing process i think it helped me it helped me remain sane during the confinement period during the quarantine okay. period and, you know, it also took my mind off, um, you know, many, um, took my mind off uh, the, the, the global developments, you know, that were quite depressing okay. at that time. And right now, too, yeah, the bad things, you know, especially with the coronavirus, COVID. Um, and what I learned, I learned that I could, um, I learned that, you know, I could indeed write because <laughs> I did send, you know, a few, like, uh, drops to my friends and all of them like wow you write really well yeah oh, wow, it's really well written uh, I really enjoy so it I think you have read like a bit of it yeah yeah, yeah so yeah that was it um, yeah oh and I got to live you know quarantine people couldn't travel including me so and what do you I got to travel you know mentally <laughs> <laughs> by writing you know and getting to relive my memory and what do you hope people would learn from this story or your book, The Long Direction? I think these days people tend to be very on edge, maybe due to the political situation across the globe. People tend to be very distrusting. Uh, You know, this faith in humanity that we often uh, call it tends to be sort of wavering people are starting to doubt if it even exists. I think this book is there to confirm that at least uh, that it exists, you know, in some form of, or another. The other one is, um, you know, many people told me before I embarked on this trip, it's impossible to do it, or, you know, it's crazy, impossible. I think people have to learn that, you know, if you trust in yourself, like how I did, you know, before I embarked on this trip and when I was on this trip, then the sky is indeed only the limit, you yeah. know, if you know what you're doing, that is. Agree. So When you really want something, you will eventually find a way to get there. Yeah, and I eventually found a way from to Canada without taking flights. I don't think many people 
uh, have done it before. <laughs> so, so inspiring. So when are we, um, when can we buy your book? When is it going to be done? So it's going to be done. It's going to be published on the 30th of November, but I'm planning to get it. Uh, I'm trying to get it on Amazon by the 25th of November. So you should be able to get it. All these are in uh, Singapore time. So for my Canadian viewers here, it should be, you know, the 29th of November. Obviously check amazon.com to get your book. And then they can also follow you on Instagram at the long direction right on facebook same name okay. the long direction but there's a spacing uh, between the and long and long and direction so yeah any of these accounts um you know follow me and you know you should be up to date on you know that on when the book will be released and any other updates regarding the book nice. and my future journeys as well so guys i already read half i think and it's so funny it's so inspiring it just really want to make you travel again and especially for you know a girl like me there are some places that we can really travel there alone it really just make me dream that someday hopefully i'm gonna get there too so much my love for doing this um with me on my show i am so so happy to have you on flirting fabulous and i'm so excited for your book and i i believe people will will love it too. Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to this guy. I mean, I really appreciate it. Uh, you having me on your show and for all you listeners, uh, I really hope you guys get the book because trust me, in this day and age where you can't really travel, this is going to be the closest you get to traveling. Yeah. And it's only going to cost less than well, 10 bucks. Thank so. you so much once again. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it for um, today. Flores and Fabulous. We're going to come back with more exciting stuff and thank you guys for listening don't forget to follow ganesh on instagram at the long direction about her happiness project.com because i'm going to publish the interview sometime at the end of the month where you can read more about his journey and so much more thanks for listening see you soon bye